Amen. Thank you for that. All right. Let's open our Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. I would like to say thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak today. It's a great privilege. I'd like to thank Pastor Van Gildren and the college here. I've only met a few uh, from the college. A great friend of mine and a uh, companion in the ministry that is priceless to me is a man called Matthew Weber. And I don't know if you know him very well or not. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, he, he has been such a friend to me. And uh, there's many a time I'm in my office crying my eyes out, and I can call Matt Weber. And uh, man, such a friend to me. And uh, s- such a testimony of what God has done in his life here and throughout his life and the influence he had here as well. I went to that prayer seminar, and that was an excellent thing for my, my assistant pastor and myself. Oh, we had a great, great time. We prayed, and man, that's a, really a new thing for me. Uh, I said, guys, we've got to take out the sweet hour of prayer out of our hymnal unless we actually do it, because it's not sweet unless you really get that hour in. And something about it, man, it's, uh, that hour of prayer is amazing, and uh, we've experienced a lot of that, and, and uh, sometimes you have to fight it off. My, my thing I fought with the hour of prayer was that if you don't do the hour of prayer, that you just like want to avoid it until you can get the hour in. Um, so that's not a true thing. Try to pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Uh, but anyways, that was a great encouragement to us. And uh, so I'm glad to be here today. A little testimony, uh, since we shared some testimonies. My name again is David Tyler Snell. I either go by David or by Tyler. I'll share you with that a little bit here in a, in a second why that's a mixture there. Um, I'm from Somerset, Kentucky, and so uh, what that means is, is that everyone in here is most likely smarter than me, that's <laughs> what so that means. Um, so I don't have much intellect to tell you, and by the way, I, uh, my main nervousness for even going into the ministry was the simple fact that I just knew that I didn't have much to say, but I praise God that I can just let God's Word be the lion that goes throughout our audience and changes lives and does the work. And man, I just stand back and let it do its job. And, and so I'm really thankful for that. Anyways, I'm from Somerset, Kentucky. Um, so what that also means is I learned to speak about two and a half years ago, the proper English. Uh, anybody, anybody from out of state, anybody not from Wisconsin in this room? Is there anyone? Wow, that is awesome. Um, is there anybody from Kentucky, by the way? Oh, man, I really will be in prayer for you all. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's interesting. Nobody from Kentucky. Anybody from Kentucky? Just checking one more time. One over here? Oh, she's not here? Okay. Okay, gotcha. Well, we got some of God's people in here, and and that's good. Um, So anyways, I grew up in Somerset, Kentucky, backwoods. We call them the haulers of Kentucky. And uh, so I grew up in a little country church where we we learned about Jesus, and we learned to love Jesus, and we would spend our hours in, in the time on the pulpit in the time on the altars and prayer, and uh, we had our revival services, and God did amazing work. My mom, uh, backstory to this is my mom was not a Christian. My dad was not a Christian. My dad was a a profound atheist. My mom was a Catholic, um, hated church, hated everything about God. God got a hold of their lives through some amazing events that is just dynamic to kind of look at. Two years before I was born, someone invited them to a local church. They came to know Christ as their Savior, and they dedicated me to the Lord, unannounced to me at all. I had no idea until I was 12 years old that my mom sat me down and she said how her, my dad and her both have been married previously, how they experienced terrible lives and they wanted something different for their children. And so I give everything that God's done in my life to the work of the Holy Spirit, saving my mom and dad and dedicating their life and my life to the Lord before I was even born. 
And uh, so I was raised through that, came up through a church where uh, I, I came to know Christ when I was 13 years old. And I surrendered my life to him. I said, whatever you want. Uh, God worked in my life through a period of events. I taught in a lot of nursing homes, assisted living. By the way, if you want to cut your teeth on good preaching, I would encourage you to do a nursing home, especially assisted living. They don't fall asleep as much. It's a great opportunity. Um, I did assisted living. I did a bus ministry. Man, it was such a great thing for me. Went to college at Crown College for four years. Uh, went to be an assistant pastor. Worked at a church in Somerset before that. Went to be assistant pastor in Wapaka, Wisconsin. I didn't even know how to pronounce it for about two years. Um, came up, left my home family, left my network of pastors and friends that I knew uh, to what I felt like was to go to the mission field. And uh, I came up here, and for a year, I plugged away and asked for God's blessing. My pastor that was up here, a great friend of mine, Pastor Josh Haney, uh, God called him back down to Florida. And here I am at the church, and the deacon sat me down and said, Hey, would you be interested in being our interim pastor? And I said, No, thank you. <laughs> I said, Not at all. Uh, not even a hesitation for that one. And so I went home. My wife says, you need to pray about it. I didn't want to pray about it. Um, so I prayed about it, and I prayed about it for two weeks. I came to our men, and they said, uh, they said again, if this is an interesting thing, we'll do it. So I was interim pastor for eight months, and then the deacon sat down again. They said, hey, would you be interested in being our senior pastor? I said, absolutely not. No hesitation. So I prayed about it for two months this time. And uh, they came back to it, and it was an amazing thing, and God led, and it was every door that God could have opened to make this happen. And by the way, I do not feel like I know what I'm doing in any means, uh, but we're trusting God's Word. Let me give you a testimony of that before we jump into God's Word. I, uh, I, I, I believe in expositional preaching and faithful to the text, letting the text speak. I generally try to walk through uh, books of the Bible, and I spend my time just going through the text, letting the text do the talking, not my agenda, but the text. And so I was doing this, and we had a dry spell for probably about five months. It was one of the most discouraging things, and we, we had so many things of baggage in the church we were dealing with, and, and so many things just weighing us down. And I'd preach, and I'd preach, and, and we didn't see much fruit. And then we, there was this boy, his name was Nathan. Nathan would only come Sunday night services, and Sunday night services, I was walking through James, we had a, a drop in attendance in our Sunday night services. I had even one of the men in the church come up to me. He says, Pastor, I really think maybe we should do something else than preach through James. Uh, he says, I don't know if it's really, uh, you know, people are maybe getting bored with it. And so, man, I had all these things going in my mind. I was like, no, I believe that God's Word can do this. It's not me. It's not my agenda. It's not some kind of great speaking ability. It's the fact that God's Word will work, and that's what I'm trusting in. Within the last month, this boy named Nathan that's come every Sunday night, no other service, after we just taught through how to end war in James and what it talked about this and the quarrels among you. And we just talked about submitting to God. He came down bawling after the service, came up. I mean, this guy is not a person that I've ever heard talk in my whole life. I've never even heard him say a word to me. He comes up bawling. He says, I need Jesus Christ. That's what he told me. And uh, man, I, I tell you what, I went to my office and I cried my eyes out. Since that, even a week after that, we saw another one come to Christ. We've seen people make dedications to Christ. Even we've had a spiral of events that we believe was called revival um, in our church. And it's amazing to see. It really is. It's an amazing thing to witness, to be a part of. And I'm so thankful for God's work in this. I say all that to say this. Wherever you're at in your life, trust that God will do His work if you obey Him and trust His word. We can't trust anything of our own merit, of our own good, apart from what God has in His Scripture. So today I want, to, I want to talk to you about a very interesting topic in Proverbs chapter 11. Let's read together verses 1 through 3. 
everyone together in the room. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful for this opportunity to open Your Word again and to let it speak to us. We pray that, Lord, as we open Your Word, that You would do the work that You have done for so many years and centuries, Father, as You have led Your people through Your Holy Spirit, guiding through Your Word. We pray that You do that again right now, Father. Please challenge us to live a life that is completely open to You. We thank You for everything You've given. In Jesus' name, Amen. My topic for us today is integrity. If you can see that behind us here, um, we're going to talk about this passage. Unique thing about Proverbs chapter 11, I believe that these three verses, generally Proverbs chapter 11 or throughout Proverbs, you have a lot of scattering shotgun text, and I love it. Usually if I do Proverbs day, you know, there's 31 days in a month, so we do the Proverbs for the day. Usually if I go through it, I never make it through a proverb because there's so many just shots at me with all these truths that I'm stopping, I'm thinking and I can't get past it because i got to go back and think about it. Oh man, that's for me. That was for me again. And so i got to go back over it again. Uniquely, I think after I've gone through this over and over and over, I think verses 1 through 3 of Proverbs chapter 11 go together in an amazing way. And once we get done, I hope that you can kind of see the same picture. It's, chronic, it's kind of creating for us an, uh, an ideal of integrity. I think it's all talking about integrity. So this is Proverbs chapter 11, this idea Integrity, I believe, is innocence of the heart. I believe they have that up here for us. Innocence is not a lack of knowledge, uh, but an unwillingness to act upon certain knowledge. So, now watch this. So basically, you have this idea of innocence. Whenever I was growing up, my cousin came to me one time. She says, oh, you're just an innocent little boy. What she meant was that I was a homeschooler, and because I was a homeschooler, I had not been approached to the public school temptations that she had been given to and the knowledge that she had been given to. While that was a lie, I was innocent, but it wasn't because I didn't know about the evil in our world. It was because I knew about the evil but I chose not to act upon it. That is innocence of the heart. Now there is a spot where you gain more knowledge about sin, about wickedness, when you lose your innocence. There is the truth in that. But simple innocence is not a, uh, in some type of novice idea where you just don't know. And so you're innocent because you don't know. No, it's that you do know, but you chose to do the right thing. That is innocence. So you have this idea... Um, you have John MacArthur, he put, he put this up here. I thought this was a great way to put it in reference to integrity. He, he said, this is no, uh, by no means a claim to perfection, but a claim to innocence. Not a claim to perfection, but a claim to innocence. Uh, so we kind of see this idea. If you look again in your text, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. The integrity of the upright She'll guide them. Do not, no matter what you do, I'm, I'm trying to tell you a simple truth today, and this is literally, if you get nothing else, get this one statement. This will carry you throughout your life. Your integrity will guide you. Keep an undefiled heart and conscience before God. When you're sitting in a room, you have families that are going against each other. You're sitting in a room. You have to make a decision that will change what you believe is the direction for many people's lives as a pastor, as a leader. 
you must be having a clean conscience and heart before God. You have to trust that God, whatever you have given to me, I know that by the best of my ability, through your word, I have obeyed it and I have become pure in heart. I have been innocent in myself, in my mind. I have kept my integrity. That will guide you. If you lose that, the next part of the verse says what will happen. It says, though, in verse 3, the perverseness of the transgressor shall destroy them. I have a picture here of uh, me back in many other days. I try to find the ugliest one I could, mostly because it's my friend that's ugly. His name is David Royal. Uh, David Royal, I had a network of friends in college. David Royal was one of my closest friends. Absolutely love David Royal. Um, another one of my friends is actually working with me now. So if you make friendships, it's amazing what God will take those and use those, even with encouragement throughout the years. Whatever the case, David, he's, in, he's been in China now for three years, but David had a unique character trait uh, that I gleaned really for the first time in my life. I had never met someone that was so worried about reading assignments. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I mean, how in the world are you expecting to, to read every word in every reading assignment? And, and every good Christian here says, oh, we all do. Well, uh, this is what one of my uh, instructors said. He says, as long as your eye touches every word on the page, uh, that's technically reading through it. So I don't know what he was implying there. It's kind of like a free pass. He shouldn't have said that. Anyway, so my ideal was... And all these other people's ideals of this stuff was that you do the best you can. But David had a different outlook on it. He didn't want to do anything in his life to corrupt his integrity. We were after a class one day. We are heading out of town to go to this preaching event. And David stops this group of guys. We're so excited. We're like going to do this great thing. And David says, guys, I can't. I've got to wait another 30 minutes because there's this assignment due that I have to turn into the administrator's office. And we were so upset with him because he was holding us up. We're like, man, what in the world are you doing? So he goes back to the dorms. He gets his stuff. He comes all the way back. He turns it in. And I never forgot that moment. Because that was a moment that marked the life of David Royal. And I hoped to goodness that that would somehow gain in me this desire to no matter what you're doing, like the testimony that was given, no matter if it's a small thing or a large thing, that we prove ourselves to be obedient Christians, that we prove ourselves that whatever our conscience would be hit among, if there's something that flares its, its mouth up, even if it's something so small as in a reading assignment, that we would never sear our conscience. It's our guide in life. We have another person that had integrity, and this is a person I want to talk about. Uh, Job, he was a man of integrity. And I'll tell you what, if a man was of integrity, it's the man that God says has integrity. So I find this very interesting. This is what God said in, in Job chapter 2, verse 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and excuseth evil, and still he holdeth fast his, what does it say? Integrity. integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. He has his integrity. Here's another one that says the same thing in, in chapter 2, verse 9. It says here, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine? She knew it. His wife knew it. By the way, if you want to test how faithful someone is to God, you go ask his wife. She'll tell you. And by the way, my, my wife will tell you everything. And uh, she will. And, and that's a great mark. That is a great accountability to your wife. You know what his wife said? Even in the midst of getting fed up with it all, lost her family, lost her riches... She was fed up with it, but she still knew that her husband had integrity. She knew it. God knew it. She knew it. 
Very interesting fact, Job chapter 27, verse 5 goes on to say, God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. He was a man of integrity. Also in Job chapter 31, verse 6, maybe I don't have that one up there. It says here, let me be weighed and even balanced that God may know mine integrity. So God knew it, his wife knew it, and he knew it. We desperately need integrity. Desperately. You will never make it throughout this Christian life unless you can keep a clear conscience between yourself and your Savior. Unless you come to Him and say, God, here I am, I pour myself out to You, and there's an uprightness in your heart, there's a cleanness in your heart, we desperately need that. He had it. Go back to Proverbs chapter 11 if you're still there. It says in verse 1, a false balance. What's it say? A false balance, a dishonest scale. Something that's trying to play the system. It says this is an abomination to the Lord. Someone who does not live a life of integrity is an abomination to the Lord. You know, I mean, God, I've been doing the best I can, but are you doing everything you can? It goes on to say here in the second part, but a just weighted, honest scale, an integrity-filled person is God's delight. God delights in the integrity of His people. He delights in this. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my what? God wants people that genuinely love Him. And the way we love Him is to obey Him in everything we know to do. So we have this idea. Uh, what does Turn with me to Psalms chapter 26. We'll go to this one next. What does it look like? What does integrity look like? I think this is an amazing thing. We're just going to walk through this. If you want to, I would encourage you to spend some time walking through this uh, psalm in Psalms 26. It is absolutely wonderful. And uh, God's done, done so much for me in this psalm. But I just want to walk through it for us uh, little by little, and we'll walk through and, and point out some things. Psalms 26, verse 1, it says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine. That's what David said. He says, God, I have integrity. I have it. He says, I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. I will not slide. I will be guided unto all truth. That's what he says. I have integrity. This is what integrity does. Now, what does it look like? Watch all the way down in verse 3. It says, uh, number one, that for thy loving kindness is before me and mine, before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. Here's the first one. If you want to write these things down, I'm going to fly through them. So here we go. Number one, he understands his position in reference to God. That's verse number three. Verse number three, he also, he walks in God's word. He understands who he is. He understands who God is, and he understands that he has to walk in God's word. <laughs> You're looking for a great place to start with integrity? Start there. Understand who God is. Understand who you are. Open your Bible and learn more about Him. Walk in His Word. This is a great starting place for integrity. Integrity. By the way, walking is an amazing word. It is a word filled with just more than obedience. It is a life of relationship. Life of relationship. Verse 4, he says this, I have not sat with vain persons Neither will I go in with disassemblers. We can talk about this bad company. And in verse 5, I have hated the congregation of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. He hates the evil of this world. That is a life of integrity. He hates evil. He doesn't hate the evil person. He hates the life of evil. goes on to say here, verse 6, I will wash my hands in innocence. I will wash. You want to be a person of integrity, you must wash your hands. Very interesting thought is that there is a prerequisite 
in, all, in two chapters back, in chapter 24 of Psalms, we have a prerequisite to coming to God. This is what it says in, in chapter 24, verse 3. Whom shall ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? Whom shall stand in His holy place? He that hath a clean hand and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So you have to have this type of mentality where you're washing my hands. I will, so I will compass thine altar, O Lord. He's going to compass his altar. You know why he's going to compass his altar? Because he's a saved person, but he's a saved sinner. So he knows, although he has integrity, he's going to live a life of sin. There's going to be sin in his life. So it's not a perfect life. It's a life of constantly going back to Christ. This is innocence. This is innocence. If you're sitting here right now and you say, there's no way I can do it. You've said the same thing I said when I first read this text. And how wonderful it is to hear that the David that says, I am walking in my integrity, says, I also spend my time on the altar. For some reasons, more than one, but one of those reasons was is that simply he knew he was a sinner. He simply knew that he had to constantly be cleaning those hands so he could come back to God. So let's move on. He says, uh, verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. We could go through all this. Verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and a place wherein thy honor dwelleth. A lot of amazing stuff here, guys. This is what integrity looks like. This is what it looks like. Let me give you the greatest downfall of integrity. Now let me reiterate here one more time. We desperately need integrity. I sat down with my staff two months ago and I told these guys, look, God has been dealing with me on this passage. We have to be in a, in a pure conscience before God in a much more, in a much greater way even because we have been put into a position where someday we will give an account for what we do with these people. Someday I'm going to stand before God and say, why did you, he's going to say, why did you make that choice? And I'm going to say, because your word said so. <laughs> and we have to be led through the integrity of our hearts through the truth in God's Word. We desperately need this. But because we are where we are, we have been given amazing opportunities. I am so thankful for my college experience. Um, I'm so thankful. And by the way, is it, uh, anyone in seminary here, by the way? Is anyone in seminary? Praise God. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And by the way, if you don't do seminary now, you'll have to do it someday, but it won't be with all the help around you. <laughs> And so get in there and learn. If God will lead you that way, do it. That's an excellent thing. We have been given amazing opportunities. We are in a culture, almost like a subculture right now, of just amazing opportunity to love each other, to love Christ, to be influenced by our fellow brothers in Christ. We are, we are literally in a, a place that's cultivated. And praise God for this. We're in a place that's cultivating testimonies that just rang out a second ago that say, I want to have integrity. I want to stand pure before God. Even if it's something small, she said. That, that is, a, that is a, a wonderful opportunity. Many people throughout the world don't have this opportunity. But did you know that just because you have this opportunity doesn't mean that you are not going to face sin. It's just going to look different. So here's the greatest downfall of integrity. Go back with me. Um, Go back with me to Proverbs chapter 1. It says it in Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, 11, where we were. Proverbs chapter 11, it says it. It says all the way back there in Proverbs chapter 11, it says in verse 2, where? What's it say? What's that second word in verse number 2 of Proverbs chapter 11? Where pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. You know what the greatest downfall 
of integrity is? Pride. My great friend, David Royal, I love him to death. I learned so much from David. You know what David thought in his life? You know what was David's sin? My friend David, not David and Goliath. You know what his sin was? Pride. He fought it. He fought it. He fought it every day. He literally stepped down for being an RA because he felt like he was taking advantage of it. Now, here's the truth. Most of the time, people that are pride-filled don't know they're pride-filled. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. I'm not pride-filled. <laughs> I'm the humblest person you've ever met. <laughs> and uh, that's usually how it works, you know. Uh, but here's the truth. And, and as I look back on this, this was a temptation he faced. A person who lives a life in integrity has the, has the temptation of thinking himself to be self-righteous. And this is a very strong sin among the college world. It is a dangerous sin. And most of the times when we're there, we don't even know it. It's a very dangerous sin among Baptist preachers in local churches that are leading people because it's a temptation we face. It's, different. it's a different color than the temptation our crowds face. But it is a unique one that we face. So, the greatest downfall, uh, Job chapter 32, verse 1. Let's see if I put it up there. Good. Job chapter 32, verse 1. This is what it says. So these three men ceased to answer Job. They stopped talking to him, to Job. Because he was righteous, what? In his own eyes. He, he thought himself to be righteous. Job chapter 35, verse 1 through 2 says, Elijah spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right? Thou that said, My righteousness is more than God's. Now, did Job say that? We don't know. But you know what his friend said? He said, Those very words. <laughs> that is a very large statement. You know what happens when we feel pride in our hearts? We wouldn't say it, but our heart is screaming it. My righteousness is more than God's. That's what it's screaming. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Job made the mistake of comparing himself among himself. He said, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of this guy that's living this righteous life, and is there anyone else in the whole earth that's kind of doing what I'm doing? Even among my friends, and he began to compare himself to his friends. This is very easy for church staff to do. This is very easy for pastors to do. That's why we have to stay on our knees. We have to, remember the first step, we have to understand who we are. We have to understand who God is. We have to stay in His Word and let His Word live in us. And we live in the Word. Because we have to keep our view not on the people next to us. We have to keep our view on the Savior above us. This is a life of integrity, but the greatest downfall of integrity is pride. So what is God's response? What does God say in, in response to this? This is the book of Job, by the way. It's a wonderful book. I hope you read it. That's what he says. Job chapter 38, uh, 38, verse 4 through 7, if you have your Bibles. I'll read it for you. It says here, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's, this is what God's saying in response to all this. Where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? He says this, Declare if thou hast understanding. Say something if you really have understanding. What if God came down from heaven right now, stood in front of you, and you just said, really, my, my righteousness more than, is more than God's. God comes down and says, if you have understanding, say so. <laughs> it says, who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you? 
Here's my statement. Never forget where you were when Jesus Christ saved you. Now, I believe in this text, we don't have time to go through it, but I believe this is actually referencing, I believe, the work of salvation that God was doing before the world created. The Bible says in the New Testament that God bring, gets brought joy through the salvation of His people, that all the saints in heaven, all these angels, there's, there's rejoicing in the midst of them. And, and before this all happened, God comes to Job that's saying, I'm self-righteous. God says, were you there when I formed the heavens and the earth? And there was this great joy. You know what the joy was in? The joy was in the fact that God knew of something to come. He knew of His plan because God does not work on our timetable. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And He decided to abundantly pardon us. <laughs> and that brought Him joy. And Job forgot where he was when God did that. Job forgot where he was when he was in front of a sovereign, almighty, wonderful God. He forgot that. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, we all know this. It says, For my righteousness are as filthy rags. The best thing we can offer God, the best, the absolute best thing we can offer God is filthiness if it's of our own merit. This is the danger of integrity. This is the danger of integrity. We desperately need integrity. But there comes a great temptation alongside of it. So how did this change for Job? If you want to, you can turn with me to Job chapter 13. And I want you to read along with me. I just want us to read and show the change of mind that happened with Job. Let's see the change of mind that happened with his understanding. Job chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I also. I am not inferior unto you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. He desires to reason with God, he said. But ye are foregoers of lies. Ye are uh, all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace. Verse 6, and it should be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleading of my lips. I'm going to reason with God. Look at this mindset he has of his own integrity. Then watch with me all the way now to this next passage in Job chapter 42, verse 1. After it's all said and done, after God had his time with Job, this is what happened. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto you me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. What a change of heart. What a change of mind. Was it that he was living in a sinful life that made him do this? No, no. God said himself, is there any man like him? <laughs> this is a man of integrity. God said that. So it wasn't that he was living in some type of sin. He was living a life of integrity. And we desperately need integrity. But he lost his view of God. He lost his view of that it was God's goodness to him to call himself to him. It was of God's benefit. It was of God's glory. It was God's righteousness that has anything good happening in Job's life. And Job lost the fact and lost the focus of that. So what to do about this? After we hear about it all, what are we going to do? 
And that's the next question. Okay, oh, that's great. I want to do something about it. Uh, don't leave us now to go to classes and everybody's sitting in their classes and the next thing you say is, oh, that's a great message. What do we do now? Let me give you a verse now what to do. And we're going to take you back to a couple things. Here's, uh, here's one. Here's a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth have integrity. That's what it means. Let him that thinks he has integrity take heed lest he fall. Be watchful. That's what this idea is. Now, there's two thoughts to this. I think I put them up here. Uh, number one, ask for God to examine you. We're going to take both of these now back from David. David, remember in Psalms 26, go back with me there. Psalms 26, David said, he says, I know I have integrity. I know this. I have integrity. After he says that very statement, I skipped over what he said next. Guess what he says in verse 2 after he says his very words. Guess what he says? Examine me, O Lord. And prove me, try my reins and my heart. Ask God to examine you. David knew that he had to have integrity and he knew he had it. But even in the moment of his confidence, he had to go to an all-knowing Savior that could look not on the outward appearance as man looks, but on the heart. And he had to ask for God to help him. It says in the New Testament that if any man is lacking something, that God will reveal it unto him. If you believe that you have integrity today, and I hope you do, and I hope you can fight for that, fight for it, I want to challenge you right now to take a moment to ask God to reveal anything in your life that is a hindrance to His name going forth in our communities. Is there anything in your life that's, that's partnering with the devil's work and you don't even know it? David said, I thought I'm doing the best I could, but if I'm not, Father, please examine me. I think that's where we need to go next. That's the next step. We want to have integrity. We understand it's a problem, though, if we have too much integrity in our self-righteousness. We have to ask God to examine us. And lastly, David ends with this thought all the way in verse 9. And I'm just going to read verse 9 through 12. He says, Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with the bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth and at an even place in the congregations will I bless the Lord. He ends with a statement to God, again, just to get on his knees and, and saying, God, please help me. When I walked in the room in this morning's service, I could sense a certain type of spirit in this place because of the DNA, that pastor's words, the DNA of this church moving to prayer. This is one of the best places you will ever find yourself in your Christian life. Is a place where you were on your knees even when you are standing. David says, Father, before I say what I know I am right now, I know I've cleansed my hands, I know I'm not walking with evil men, I know I hate the evil way. He says, before he even said that, he says, examine me. And then when he ends, he says again, Father, I'm going to walk in my integrity, but I pray that you would help me. That's his prayer. So wherever you're at today, no matter what your stance is, maybe you're a person that needs to get to integrity. We need people in our churches to be the example. Paul said, follow me. That's what he said. How an amazing statement is that for someone to stand up and say, people follow me. <laughs> Why? Because he followed Christ. We need people that can stand up with true integrity, with God's word and say, here's God's word. Follow me. We need that so desperately. We need people in the lost world to look at you and say, I need that. That's what they, we need. The Holy Spirit's work in you. But be so careful. That in the midst of all this, we don't forget God's work in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything you've given us.
Lord, we are beyond blessed to have the opportunity to serve You. Lord, it is my greatest joy to serve You. I would rather do nothing in my life than serve You. Lord, You have blessed me beyond measure. Lord, help us to never lose the wonder of it all, though. Help us to never take our eyes off Jesus and His work on the cross to save us as wicked, sinful people, as as the Gentile world, Lord, that You chose to come to us. Lord, we are so thankful. But Lord, help us to never forget. Help us to never become ignorant. Lord, help us to walk in our integrity. We thank You for everything You've given us. In Jesus' name, Amen.